You're listening to the podcast of River of Life Christian Fellowship in Durant, Oklahoma. Visit us online at rolcf.org. Bible study. This is what you learn in Bible school, in seminary. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians. It comes after 1 Corinthians. That's deep right there. Even in the Greek, two comes after one. And what we need to understand is that Paul ran across a group of people in Corinth. And he wrote a letter called 1 Corinthians. Over a period of time, he wrote another letter called 2 Corinthians. And what we're about ready to read is mentioned in the last part of 2 Corinthians. After he had a long time spent teaching these people at Corinth. You know, last week we read here in, in, in chapter 12, we read about uh, my grace. In verse 9 it says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what we talked about that was where Jesus was talking about grace and strength. And that grace and strength are the same thing. You can't separate the grace and the strength because grace is His strength. And while we were talking about that, we read over here in chapter 11. Um, we're going to start with verse 2. Verse 2 in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. It says this, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Stop right there for a second. What this is saying is that, that and that word betrothed, uh, I know it sounds a little funny, or it's almost like the word promised, but if you do a word study on that word betrothed, it literally means to be joined together. Just not joined together, but you know, the, the, the examples that, that they're given to explain this, it's like a carpenter when he brings two pieces of wood together and they fit together correctly you know it's just not about putting two two by fours together side by side it's not talking about that kind of fitting together the word uh, betrothed here in the greek literally the word is harmonious you know it's the word we, where we get har, uh, harmony from it all comes from you know what it means when something's in harmony does anybody recognize when something's in... Let me ask you this. Do you recognize when something's not in harmony? It's easier to recognize. Matter of fact, you take it for granted, don't you, when it's in harmony? But when it's not in harmony? Oh, man. It, it don't sound good. All right? You know, everybody put your hands like this, you know, where your fingers are crossing, right? Is that in harmony? That's not in harmony. See, they're together, but it's not in harmony. Everybody turn your hands until they come in line with one another. Guess what? That's harmonious. It's in harmony. That's what it really means. It says, I have knit you together. That's what it's talking about here. Let's read this again. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed or, or made you knit together. I've made you harmonious to one husband. Now see, this is not talking about denominationalism. This is not talking about what church you go to. This is not talking about who you were baptized by. Paul had spent his time 
teaching a group of people at Corinth how to be in sync with God. And his whole purpose was to make them into the bridegroom to a husband. So here we have the analogy of a bridegroom of a husband and a bride that Paul was preparing the bride of Christ to be with the husband. Jesus is our husband. We are the bride of Christ. Do you see what's happening here? And so his teaching, everything that he was teaching and communicating in Paul's ministry was make a group of people be in harmony or being joined together to one husband, Christ. Now let's read the next verse. But I fear, at least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds, everybody say minds. So the issue here is what's in your mind. How many people know that the issue you have is in your mind? <laughs> I got one real honest person in here. How many people know the issues that you have are in your mind? How many people in here live a whole nother life in your mind that other people don't see? Everybody knows what I'm talking about, don't we? All kinds of little videos going on in your head that you don't tell nobody about. You know, our mind is so important. What we think about is so important. Now, we go back to the story here of Adam and Eve, and that's what this is referring to, where Paul... This is thousands of years later, goes back to the first human and her being deceived by the devil. And the devil deceived her how? In her mind. See, the problems we face aren't out here. The problems we face are in here. Everybody go like this. We're going to talk about warfare tonight, or this morning. The warfare that you confront was between your hands. That is where most of the warfare takes place in your life. It's not out here. It's not with other people. It's between your ears. It's called the warfare, the battlefield of the mind. It's what you think about that determines... You know, we say this on Wednesday night, we said it a lot, that thoughts are blueprints of future actions. If you think about something long enough you'll end up responding to it. In some shape, way, or form, if you think about asking some girl out, and you keep thinking about it, and you keep thinking about it, pretty soon you might get, you'll get the guts, you'll ask her out. You won't ever ask her out unless you think about it. It starts with the thought process. It starts with the way you think, what you think about. If you think about hitting somebody... If you get mad and you start thinking about hitting somebody, you think about it long enough, guess what's going to happen? You're go you, you, won't think, you won't hit somebody unless you first think about it. So really, the battle is in your mind. It is about mind control. Can you control your mind? Can you control your thoughts patterns? What are you bringing into your life that allows you to control what you know. See, a lot of times we know stuff that we're not that we wish we didn't know. 
Guess what you got to do? You got to change the way you think. That's what the word repent means. The word repent means change the way you think. Jesus came and he spoke to the Jewish people. The first thing he said to the Jewish people was repent. Change the way you think. We've got to change the way that we think about ourselves, that we think about our lives. We need this Word to be in our lives. We need to be thinking about God's Word. We need to acknowledge God's Word in our mind. We need to be thinking. We need to be pondering. We need to be meditating. We need to be speaking. We need to be talking about God's Word all the time in our life. You can't do it enough. We have to redo what's up in here. That's why Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget the past. I like what Paul did. He changed his name from Saul. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, the, words, the name Saul was the top three names you could name your child within the children of Israel. It was like the name, one of the best names you could name your kid was Saul. But when he got the revelation that he got, he changed his name to Paul, which was a Gentile name. So he went from being a top-grade Jewish name to a low-grade Roman name or Gentile name. Because he didn't want his identity to come from his old father. He wanted his identity to come from his new father. To the degree he changed his name. That's something. That's powerful. See, everything he did, it was do done to help him change the way he th was thinking. But it says here in verse, uh, verse uh, 3, it says... But I fear, least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What he's saying here is that what he had taught over the years was that there was a simplicity to the message of the gospel, and it was Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and it was His ability and our inability that was going to make us be victorious in this life. It wasn't about being obedient to the law. As a matter of fact, He taught being separate from the law. You know, that it wasn't about the law. Righteousness wasn't going to come from the law, but it was going to come by Jesus Christ. And He says that's the simplicity message. And if you go ahead and read the rest of this chapter and the, next, the, the, the verses thereafter, it's talking about how he was afraid that people were going to come in behind him and reteach them things of the past that they had already forgotten about. That he, had, he was worried that people were going to come behind him and mess up the simplicity of the gospel. That he had, he had prepared this body of believers over a period of time, brought them to a place where they understood, oh, it is really just about Jesus and Him alone crucified and nothing else that's what he had taught them and he was afraid people because he was seen it in his other ministries where people come well it's that much now you got to do this no see that's what the scripture is talking about here where it says that he was uh, that i may present to you uh present you as a chaste virgin you know what that word chaste means no flesh no flesh here. No, no, no flesh, no, nothing else on the outside, simple. Just you, your husband, and nothing else. And what Paul was referring to here in the spiritual sense was just Jesus and you and no law. Just Jesus and you 
And that is the heart of our relationship with God. That really is what God is wanting for us to walk in every day of our life. It is that simplicity, the simplicity of the gospel. It is a simple message. It's not complicated. It's easy. But it has to be in your mind. And Satan's going to try to get in your mind and mess you up. The real simple story. I mean, throughout the New Testament, there's, there's many references, you know, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your many scriptures over and over and over. And he's talking about be of one heart and one mind. To, to think on these things, what, all about mind control, controlling what you think about, controlling your attitude and your atmosphere via your mind. Look what happened to the children of Israel. Children of Israel were in bondage. They, they were uh, under the guard of Pharaoh and control of Pharaoh. They were slaves to the uh, Egyptians. And, and then God came in through a process of, of plagues. Uh, release, the children of Israel were, were released from, from the control of the Egyptians. And they went out into the desert and they're starting their journey of freedom. And as they, as they start their journey to freedom, they go out. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh that used to have control of them says, No, wait a minute, I want my slaves back. He changed what he was thinking about. He changed his thought patterns. See, what changes other... Things on the outside can change the way you think. So he, he changed the way he thought and said, I want my slaves back. So he sent the chariots, all his armies, to go get the children of Israel. Right? So he goes to get them, and they get to the Red Sea. They got the children of Israel backed up to the Red Sea. And here come the, the Egyptians, the children of Israel here, and the Red Sea's here, and they can't go anywhere. What's God do? Everybody knows the Bible study, right? Everybody knows the Bible stories? God parts the water, moves the water out of the way. The children of Israel goes across uh, the Red Sea onto the other side. The Pharaoh and his army comes through the Red Sea, going to chase them and going to get his slaves back. The water collapses on them and kills them all. They see this. The children of Israel go, wow. That's, you know, that's a testimony right there of God's... I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's like, well, I don't know if that really happened. I don't know about the miracles. I doubt... You know, I don't think they were doing that. I really think they were wowed by the awesomeness of God destroying their enemies. Well, you'd think they just served God all their life. You'd think. But you know what? The Bible says in a short period of time after that, they started walking around talking about the things they used to have back in slavery. They started in their mind remembering the, the onions, the garlics, the fish, the leeks. Because because the, the direction they were going, God's provision wasn't good enough. They started murmuring and complaining. And they started whining and complaining. Oh, the, man, you remember what, how we used to eat back when we were in bondage? Yeah, we were in bondage and we were slaves. And, and we had to do what everybody tell us to do. And, and we, we weren't people to our own. And we had to serve their gods. But you know what? We ate good. You know, you know. That, that, that rock bed was nice, but it was in one place. I knew where to go. They killed our firstborn son, hey. You know, they started thinking about all the stuff they used to have in their mind. Pharaoh was dead! 
Pharaoh wasn't charging down on them no more. The enemy wasn't getting them. The only enemy they had from that point on was between their ears. It was their stinking thinking. It almost sounds like people in God's house. Whining and complaining. I'm not saying our house. I'm not other people's churches. I'm just talking about you know, when it, well, back before I got saved, I was a whole lot happier. I had much more friends when I got, before I got saved. I got saved, my family don't even like me now. At least with my family, I knew I'd get cursed. <laughs> Stinking thinking. See, right here, the same way that Eve was deceived back in the garden. The problem was, why was she even talking to him? Yeah. It wasn't about what they were saying. Why was she even entertaining a conversation with the serpent? Here's something for you husbands. I don't have too many husbands in here. I've got a few people in here today. Adam was given charge over the garden. Why did he let the serpent in? Everybody blames Eve for talking to the serpent and being deceived. It was Adam's job to keep him out. Husbands, some of us need to rise up, take charge of our garden. Wives, some of us need to let our husbands rise up and take care of our garden. Protect the house of God. Protect the homes of God. You understand? Husbands, we need to take our place. Because if we don't take our place, the deceiver is coming to your house. Going to talk to your family members. Husbands, if you don't take your place, the enemy will rise up in their minds. You'll be off doing your thing, tilling the garden, picking fruit, whatever. And if you don't take care, subdue and take charge, take care of the gardens God has given you, things will start working in the minds of the people in your home, under your roof. If you don't raise up a standard of God, another standard will be risen. Men, it's time to rise up. Take your place. Be a man. As we say down here in the south, in cowboy land, man up! <laughs> cowboy up. Man up, men. Take our place. Now, I'm not saying be ugly. I'm not saying being... But protect, guard, subdue and take charge. Raise up a standard. Have your family live in a standard of godliness. Speak the word in your home. Declare the glory of God. Paint a vision of righteous living. If you don't paint a vision of righteous living, do you think your kids are going to live righteous? 
They're just going to live the way the world tells them to. That's what's wrong with the church today. People are just living the way the world has told them to live. Listen, our kids are just living the way we've let them live. We live the way our parents let us live. Our parents lived according to the way their parents let us live. Why do some kids, why do some parents know? It's because somebody had to stand up. Some people had, somebody's got to stand up and declare the glory of the Lord in a home. Some, somebody has got to put a hedge of protection around your home. Somebody's got to declare the word and say, this is the direction our family's going. And it all starts with a thought process. You have to get rid of old way of thinking. Listen, I got rid of the way I was raised by my parents. You need to understand, I would say that with my mother here. I've said it before. I'm not saying the way she raised me was wrong. It's not a wrong or right issue. Get over it. But I had to get my eye fixed on my heavenly father and the way he wanted to raise me. And I wanted to be, I wanted to go that direction. When, when Joy and I were first married, we were talking, you know, about all these family traditions and everything. She, you know, she, you know, when you get married, you marry the whole bunch of stuff. Hear all the chuckling? Y'all hear that? You hear all the chuckling? They know I'm right. So when you get married someday, remember, it's just not, you know, or the cute little guy. It's the whole bunch of stuff that comes with them. Okay? So, what we need to understand is that when Joy and I first got married, we were trying to decide what kind of traditions we were going to have in our family. Because her family did this this way, my family did this that way, and, and, and everything, and they, they clashed. You know, you can't have all the traditions of this family and all the traditions of this family brought together into one. And then all of a sudden, Revelation hit Joy and I at the same time. Her, fam, her mom and dad were divorced. My mom and dad were divorced. And I just went, wait a minute. Nothing against our moms and dads. But all the traditions of the family didn't keep that marriage together on either side. So why would we have the same traditions that didn't work? Unless we didn't want to work. You see what I'm saying? Why keep duplicating something if you want a different result? If you want something you never had, you've got to do something you've never done. Now, so what we decided to do as a family, we changed, we decided this is the traditions that we're going to have as a family, and so we said this is what we're going to do. Now, some of it was from her. Now, we didn't sit there, so we got three from yours and three from mine, and you know, we're even now. Said, this, is what we, this is what we felt we wanted to do as a family. And so we've, and we've, we've raised our family in that manner. Not because of what's been handed down. Some of the things we, we kept doing, but it's not because of that. It's because of the way God has led us now to do. And we followed that instruction. We had to change the way we thought about things. Because I didn't want my past. Joy didn't want her past. We came together to determine God's future in our life. And then we set our course and we started running that race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author. See, most of us are running the race set before us, looking unto the world around us. What are you going to get when you run the race with the world around you? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get what the world has to offer. 
Set your mind on things that are above, the scripture says. Set your mind, set your mind, set your mind. You've got to think the way the Word thinks. What does the Word say about it? You've got to set your mind. Paul, here in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, at the end of 2 Corinthians, after teaching his people, the people that God had put in his charge, the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, as far as you know, redemption, he said right there, oh, But I fear, at least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I tell you what, get the word in you, church. Get the word in you. It's Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus and a bunch of stuff that you can do. It's Jesus. If you're young in the family, a young, you've got a young family, set your mind on, on the destiny God's got for you. Call upon the grace of God to equip you to do what God's called you to do and go do it. Listen, the, the, we did a whole series of teach, uh, teaching on family uh, up in Minnesota for a period of time. And some people heard the word, and at first they didn't like it, you know, because we were saying stuff like, well, if, if you've been going to a family reunion for 20 years, and you've done the same thing over and over and over again, and, and you feel God calling you to go do something, it happens to be on the same day that that family reunion is, you best go do what God's called you to do and forget the family reunion. Wow. You would think I spoke from the pit of hell. <laughs> you don't talk about people's family yeah I do <laughs> when it goes against God's word what are we acknowledging what are we honoring in our life family reunions or God's word I'm just stubborn enough I tell you I, I, I'm not a calendar preacher I do my best I, sometimes I'll not do stuff on calendar days just because God kind of he's working with me on that one but if God's got something in, you know if he's speaking something to us and it happens to be on a certain day of the year when everybody else is celebrating something else you're going to hear God's word not a message geared around something else the calendar does not determine what comes out of my mouth Now, God can use the calendar and those events to communicate His gospel. But when destiny... See, church, what we need to realize, our destiny is not going to line up with your past. Someone needs to hear that. I don't know who it was. Your destiny, your future, is not, will not line up with your past. And a lot of us say, thank you, Jesus. I don't want my destiny to line up with my past. I want a different future than I lived in the past. I don't want to know what to expect. You know, not knowing, not knowing what to expect is one of the most exciting lives you can live. Knowing what to expect, knowing what's going to happen is just absolutely boring. Let's stand up. I want to challenge you, don't let Satan get in your thoughts. 
And how do you keep Him out of your thoughts? By thinking God thoughts, acknowledging God in all His ways, getting the Word in your heart. That's been the theme all morning. Acknowledging God, acknowledging His Word, acknowledging His ways. In everything, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. And I can sit up here and talk about this every day for three weeks. I can teach on it for ten years. And the only difference it'll ever make in your life is when you apply it. You can apply it today. You can apply it ten years from now. You can listen to the best teaching and preaching that the world has to offer. But until you apply it, you know, until you concern yourself with someone else more than yourself, you'll really never experience the love of God. I tell you, when you go out, the first, if you've never won someone to the Lord, if you've never taken the gospel, the Jesus that's in you, let's do it that way. If you've never taken the Jesus in you, that's in you and go, oh, here. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give unto thee. Man, that's, that's all ministry is. That's how simple ministry is. Do you got word in your heart? You may not have the silver and gold that people need around you, but guess what? If you've got the word in your heart, give it. <laughs> give some word out and you'll get more in. Does everybody see that? Give out some of the word that you have. Make room for some more word. You got a little revelation? I know you got revelation. Because you know that Jesus came and died on the cross for you. You know that you were a sinner. And that Christ had to come and pay the price for your sin. Because no man can pay the price for his own sin. And one day you got revelation of that. And you said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I receive what you've done for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. I receive that work. So I know you've had revelation. Guess what? Huh. Take that revelation and give it out. Share it with somebody. Be concerned about their destiny. Be concerned about their future. Wow. Watch what happens. Who knows? We might just affect some people. The gospel is bigger than you. It's all for you, but it's bigger than you. The gospel was just for you. But now that you have it, you've got to give it. Because it's just for them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you what you're doing in our midst. Father, I thank you that we can be strong. That we can place on our head the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation that guards our thoughts. The truth about Jesus. The truth about salvation will guard our thoughts.
may we think about your word. We're going to think... I just heard this, church. You're going to think about something. Is anybody in here can sit there in your chair and not think about anything? <laughs> you're going to think about something. Might as well start choosing what you're going to think about. You start choosing what you're going to think about and watch the difference in your life. <clears throat> Father, we give you praise. We give you glory for what you're doing in our midst. We acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your word. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.